0: Hello, everyone. Thank you so much for joining the Live to 110 podcast. My name is Wendy Myers, and you can find me at live to 110com and learn about my uh, detox and healing program, mineralpower.com. It's where I mineralize your body and detox it of metals and chemicals because those toxins interfere in your body's metabolic function in so many ways. It doesn't matter what your health condition is, what your disease label is. There's always an underlying mineral deficiency. And heavy metal and chemical toxicity that's exacerbating that condition or causing it outright. Today, we have a very, very important podcast. I have Dr. Stephanie Seneff on the show to talk about glyphosate and how that disrupts your hormones, disrupts cholesterol metabolism, disrupts your liver's ability to detox your body, how it disrupts gut bacteria and causes so many different health conditions, including autism, dementia, ALS, and so, so many others. And it's a huge health crisis. This is probably one of the most most important podcasts that I've done. And it really, the underlying tagline for the show is should be say no to bread. (laughs) Uh, Because, you know, glyphosate is used so much in wheat and wheat has so many various issues. But unfortunately, all food that is not organically grown is sprayed with glyphosate. Glyphosate is a weed killer. It's what's used on all the non-organic produce. It's sprayed in all of the parks, uh, to kill weeds. It's so ever present in our environment. It's in the water. It's in the rain. It's in the, the vegetables, the fruit, the bread, the grains. It's, it's in so many things. And we're going to talk about how you can avoid glyphosate is best, you know, to your abilities and how to detox glyphosate on the show today. Please keep in mind that today's show is not intended to diagnose, treat, or cure any disease or health condition, and it's not a substitute for professional medical advice. Please keep in mind this podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes only. Please consult your healthcare practitioner before engaging in anything that we suggest today on the show. Dr. Stephanie Seneff is a senior research scientist at MIT's Computer Science and Artificial Intelligence Laboratory in Cambridge, Massachusetts in the U.S. She has a B.S. degree from MIT in biology and a Ph.D. from MIT in electrical engineering and computer science. Her recent interests have focused on the role of toxic chemicals and micronutrient deficiencies in health and disease, with a special emphasis on the pervasive herbicide Roundup produced by our lovely Monsanto and the mineral sulfur. She has authored over two dozen peer reviewed journal papers over the past few
1: years on these topics.
0: Dr. Seneff, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast.
1: I'm delighted to be here. Thank you for having me.
0: Why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself and your background.
1: Uh, yes, yeah, so I've been at MIT all my adult life. I went there undergraduate, got a biology degree at MIT and then PhD, MSEE and PhD degrees in electrical engineering and computer science at MIT. And then I've worked at MIT ever since then. So MIT born and bred <laughs> a wonderful place. Uh, and I have to say they've been very supportive of my recent research, which has been somewhat controversial. So MIT is a very liberal place and they are willing to you know, allow people to do research that is otherwise often restricted. Mm -hmm. So I'm grateful for that. Um, So my most of my career, I was working on building spoken dialogue systems to uh, allow humans to have a sort of a natural interface conversation with a computer. And um, so a lot of work with speech recognition and natural language understanding and dialogue modeling, all of that kind of stuff, got into using dialogue systems to help a person learn a language, learn a new language by playing games on the computer. So... Really had a lot of fun doing all of that. Nine years ago, I was getting very worried because I was looking at the um, autism trends, and I was in the United States, and I was seeing uh, exponential growth in the pattern. And exponential growth is a very scary thing, and I know that. So, um, <clears throat> I was concerned because it looked like most of the research dollars were going towards genetics, you know, looking at for genetic causes. And they're finding all kinds of genetic links, you know, many, many genes that if you have a certain variant, you have a certain increased risk, you know, but everything is very small. Each of those links is just a tiny proportion of the autism population. And many, many autistic kids don't have any of those genes. So clearly, you know, genes isn't working. It's not the solution. You know, it'll, it'll cause you to have an increased susceptibility, but it won't cause, it's not the cause. The cause is an environmental thing. And so, Uh, Nine years ago, I just decided to start looking at uh, potential environmental factors that could be causing it. I thought it's a pretty straightforward process, you know, because you know something's going up exponentially. There must be an environmental uh, contaminant that's also going up exponentially together with that. And so um, I was looking at um, aluminum and mercury in the vaccines, and mercury, of course, in the fillings of the mom's teeth, and fluoride and PCBs, you know, and all these different things. and really uh, coming up short, you know, I could explain part of it, but there were m- big parts of what autism was about that I couldn't explain from the chemicals I was finding. And um, it was really very fortuitous four years ago that I had a chance to hear a two hour presentation by Professor Don Huber, who's a retired he's eighty years old, I think he's a retired professor from uh, Purdue, has had an illustrious career in plant physiology and plant pathology. And in his lecture, He made a case for glyphosate. He said, glyphosate is a sleeper. It is a much more toxic chemical than we realize. It's all over the place, and it is causing a great deal of disease, particularly related to gut dysbiosis. And he explained how that could be true. And so he was drawing an analogy between the soil bacteria and the gut bacteria, and he was seeing the phenomena going on in the soil, and he was seeing all these kids with all these different gut problems, you know, celiac disease, of course, inflammatory bowel disease, leaky gut, uh various problems with diarrhea and constipation, you know, belly aches, I mean, all kinds of food issues, food allergies, all kinds of stuff, clearly trouble with the gut. And he suspected that glyphosate was a major causative factor in that. And that was the piece of, a big piece of the missing puzzle for me with the autism. I couldn't explain what was causing. I knew they had trouble with their gut. And I was thinking, and maybe they were taking too many antibiotics, getting too many ear infections. You know, I was struggling. And this just handed the Answer over to me on a silver platter. So um, I was really excited. I, I heard that two-hour talk and I never looked back. I basically dropped everything I was doing. I didn't even know the word glyphosate when I walked into that talk. It's really truly amazing. And uh, and now I've just about read every paper I can find on glyphosate. A really 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 interesting chemical biologically. Really interesting. It's just so fascinating and devastating and um, incredible. Really incredible. A very insidious effect that it has on our biology to disrupt everything it's truly amazing and um, i'm very blessed to have been able to interact with a lot of really smart people and we're writing papers trying to we're researching and then you know trying to articulate our discoveries as best we can to get the message out that this chemical needs to be banned it needs to be removed from the earth
0: yeah, no, I first heard about glyphosate from you, actually. I heard you <laughs> on a podcast and mind blown. And so I'm so thrilled to have you on because this is such an important message that you you need to get out to the world. And it's frightening. So why don't we tell people what exactly is glyphosate and why is it such a concern for our health?
1: Yes. Uh, so glyphosate is the active ingredient in the pervasive herbicide Roundup which you can very conveniently go down to your local hardware store and buy some Roundup and spray it on your dandelions to control the weeds in your yard. So it's very unregulated, you know, and anybody can buy it, no license required. Um, And of course, they use it enormously on the food, especially in this country. Uh, The the key thing that happened uh, to really offset, to really take, make the autism epidemic take off, in my opinion, was the introduction of the GMO Roundup Ready Crops. And this was a, a fab, fabulous success, you know, late 1990s. They, they, they figured out how to insert a bacterial gene into, a, into the crop so that the crop wouldn't die when it was exposed to Roundup. Otherwise, Roundup kills all plants. So something that kills all plants, you've got to think that's got to be toxic, you know. And, and so to say, oh, yeah, it kills all plants, but it doesn't harm us at all, very suspicious, you know. Yeah. And um, so they put this bacterial gene into these core crops, so soy, corn uh canola which is canola oil uh beets which is beet sugar and beet sugar is a a pretty large proportion of the sugar that we buy is beet sugar um alfalfa cotton which is interesting because cotton products are, are showing up with glyphosate contamination including tampons which is very worrisome to me and um tobacco so tobacco is also you know cigarettes are bad for you right well how much is it the glyphosate in the cigarette that's causing the health issues associated, how much of it is due to the glyphosate? I don't know, you know, but something, I'm sure. <laughs> Some part of the cigarette toxicity is due to the glyphosate that's in them. So they had they introduced all these crops, and it was fantastic. They could grow these crops really cheaply, just fly with the airplane over the crop, spray the crop, you know, willy-nilly with glyphosate and kill all the weeds. Um, the crop, unfortunately, takes the glyphosate up and incorporates it into its own tissues. So it's not like you can just wash it off. You know, it's there and it's integrated into the, into the tissues of the crop and into your foods themselves. This is the part that is really disturbing to me. And, and we're not positive this is true, but the evidence is really strong. And Anthony Sampson and I have been working on this angle of it, this incorporation into the proteins in, in, in anyone who's exposed, a plant, an animal, a microbe, all of them have the chance to incorporate glyphosate into their proteins. And this is what's causing all these allergies that we're seeing to all these foods. You know, of course, we've got soy allergy, we've got uh, corn allergy, we've got wheat allergy. Wheat is not GMO, but it's sprayed with glyphosate right before the harvest. More and more lately, that's become a popular trend. So wheat contains glyphosate incorporated into the protein. And that's what's causing the wheat allergy. That's like celiac disease and gluten intolerance. And all these, you know, grocery stores now have these wide sections of all these gluten-free products to choose from which was hardly even known about 10 years ago, the concept of gluten-free. And, you know, so many people now can't eat wheat. And, of course, milk is the other one, casein intolerance. Milk allergies, uh, casein is a protein in milk, and cows are exposed to huge amounts of glyphosate in their feed, so they get it into their into their milk. So peanut allergy is another one, and peanuts are sprayed with glyphosate before harvest also sometimes. So I sort of think all these allergies can be explained by glyphosate.
0: Yes. And it's frightening because that the, not only do the crops where they really spray with glyphosate when they're harvested, then they're sprayed again to, as a desiccant to dry them out. Exactly, Such so as yes. they're just getting pummeled like with food that's not organic is, right. it's, it's frightening. I read another article about even fruits. Um, so many fruits, even if they aren't the wheat, they aren't sprayed with the, the Roundup ready. To kill weeds, they're sp- it's sprayed on them to dry them out, so they last yeah. longer. And it's just on so many foods.
1: I was really surprised that it was in fruits. And in fact, Zen Honeycutt tested, I think, twelve different wines in uh, California, and it came out uh, glyphosate contamination showed up in every one of them, including the wines that were biodynamic, that were you know we're not using glyphosate to control weeds, but they were. But you know, it's in the water, it's in the rain. I mean, you can't avoid it. It's probably in the in whatever manure, whatever they use for organic fertilizer, you know, because the cows, you don't have to, you don't get organic cows for the fertilizer that you use in organics. Uh, so you've got glyphosate in organics. You can't avoid it, but it's consider- considerably less from what I've seen. And there hasn't been nearly enough testing of the food. That's something that was almost not done at all. I mean, it's amazing. It's by far the most used herbicide on the planet and certainly in this country. And our government is so uh, convinced that it's harmless that they don't see any reason to test for it, which is just so crazy. So it's been uh, under the radar. You know, people see problems with the insects, you know, with the bees, the bee colony collapse and the monarch butterfly. The birds have this crazy beak overgrowth thing that the chickadees where they they die because their beaks are so weird they can't eat. All of those things, I can tie them very easily to black as a component, so there's a the neonicotinoids killing the bees, but glyphosate makes the neonicotinoids much more toxic because it disrupts the liver's ability to detox it, and that's true for many toxic chemicals. so glyphosate makes many other chemicals much more toxic than they would otherwise be, which is really deadly synergistic toxicity
0: yeah, and that's something that's not really being studied is the potentiation of chemicals to make one chemical much more toxic when two chemicals are combined. And so that's yes. a very interesting conversation.
1: I mean, it's amazing. We have multiple chem- chemicals that we're exposed to all the time. And essentially, none of the studies have looked at any two in combination. All the studies are sort of done in isolation. So it's crazy that they're not, you know, they're they are not worrying about what might go on as the interaction between these various chemicals. It's just really um, got to be much, much worse than, you know, the individual chemical because they do cause each of them can cause the other one to be more toxic because of the way it affects the biology.
0: Yes, and so let's talk about some of the, the foods that people need to be avoiding that are likely contaminated with glyphosate. We kind of touched on some, and let's touch on um, organic food
1: and yes.
0: why that's preferable.
1: Certainly. I mean, that's what we've done. And we, you know, I, when I first started glyphosate, we, we were started sort of buying organic, but keeping our old stuff, you know, speaking, well, we'll use that up and then we'll replace it with organic. And then we got to a point where we started just pitching stuff. It's like, okay, we're not going to keep this. This is not organic. You know, we've gotten so strict in this household. We buy organic spices, organic beer, organic wine. I mean, everything is organic. And uh, I would encourage anybody listening to do the same. I think it would be a very wise choice. The extra money that you spend on food, you will get back in spades on the health issues you don't get down the road because it's an insidious toxin that gradually erodes your health and then, you know, you wake up someday with, you know, something like Crohn's disease or or Alzheimer's or Parkinson's disease or, you know, rheumatoid arthritis, all these things you don't want that you're going to get if you keep on chronically exposing yourself to glyphosate. You're going to get one or the other of these. And depending on your biology, depending upon what else is going on in your body, you get different things, but nobody escapes from being sick if they get chronic exposure to glyphosate so you can do yourself a big favor and your family by eating everything organic i i believe that's a huge first step but it's not enough it turns out because there's other ways you're getting exposure and i mentioned the cotton i mean we need to start thinking about organic cotton clothing organic cotton pampers you know diapers because you think of putting cotton on the baby um on the baby's skin uh, you know, diaper rash. I mean, the kids have an epidemic in eczema. Is that due to glyphosate in the clothing? I don't know. You know, no one studied it. No one's even thought of it. So, um, but they do, uh, the, in South America, they tested cotton products and that's where they found it in tampons. They found it in sterile cotton gauze. So imagine an open wound and you're putting glyphosate into it. I mean, it's really very disturbing. I think it's also in drugs, in vaccines you know, because no one's making any attempt to make sure it's not there. And it's so pervasive. You think about a vaccine like MMR, which of course, MMR has been linked to autism. There's a lot of controversy about that. Uh, There's a new movie called Vax that talks about a CDC whistleblower and the issues of the CDC using some corrupt um, activities to, you know, uh, suppress the fact that MMR was linked to autism. Uh, MMR is a live measles. The live measles virus is grown on gelatin. The gelatin is sourced from pigs, from the ligaments of pigs. The pigs are fed a heavy dose of glyphosate in their feed, and glyphosate would accumulate in the collagen, which is the precursor to the gelatin, because collagen contains tons of glycine. And in our studies, what Anthony and I are showing is that glyphosate substitutes for glycine by mistake in the protein. So you can anticipate the measles virus is going to incorporate the glyphosate that's in the gelatin into its own proteins, which is going to produce a version of hemagglutinin that's very hard to break down because the glyphosate makes the proteins resist uh, the ability to break them down, and that's how you get very very strong immune reaction because you can't break that protein down. The vaccine is looking for antibodies to hemagglutinin, that's considered a success. That's what you need to do to be protected from measles. But the autistic kids get way way too high. Levels. They've shown that, that autistic kids have super high levels of antibodies to hemagglutinin, and then they also have autoantibodies to myelin basic protein in their brain. So they're getting their brain on fire with this inflammation because their their immune system is attacking the nerve fibers in their brain due to molecular mimicry, because there's a sequence in there that matches the hemagglutinase. So that's a lot of science, but it's really, really interesting stuff. Autoimmune disease, so many different autoimmune diseases are going up dramatically right now in this country. And I think every one of them uh, has, glyphosate is playing a major role in every one of them.
0: Yeah, and I really, um, you know, identify with what you're saying about the MMR vaccine, because when my daughter had that, she didn't talk for a year. She, oh had, my God, I didn't know that. Yeah, she wow. actually had an autism diagnosis and she was speaking in two word sentences until she was three years old. She was speaking, but she was not progressing mm-hmm. in, in her language. Wow. And she was ahead of the curve prior to that. And then wow. after that, that's and, stunning. You know, it's a, a long road, but now she's a lot better and totally normal functioning. But you know, it's amazing the yes. the combo you're talking about, the the vaccines and the glyphosate and the potentiation of those two, you know, the inc- toxic ingredients in the vaccines and yes, the aluminum
1: and whatnot and glyphosate. Bad exactly. Combo. I've talked, we've written papers about that as well, <clears throat> the connection between glyphosate and aluminum, because glyphosate is a major metal chelator. Aluminum is a major metal. And so glyphosate binds really tightly to the aluminum and carries it you know, into the Brainstem and delivers it at the pineal gland because that's in the acidic environment, it lets it go. So if the pineal gland is in a more acidic environment. So the glyphosate delivers hands over the aluminum to the pineal gland, messes up the pineal gland, and causes sleep disorder because that's the melatonin. But then that also causes all kinds of other problems that go with the sleep disorder. So we have a major epidemic in sleep disorder. All these people are taking different kinds of sleeping pills, and it's associated with all these neurological diseases like multiple sclerosis and Alzheimer's and and autism, ADHD, all these, depression, they all are associated with sleep disorder problems. So I think all of that, you know, is going on with the aluminum and the glyphosate. And we're just crazy with the amount of aluminum we put into these vaccines. I, and especially now I'm so upset about the Gardasil vaccine. They're introducing this new vaccine for the teenagers. If they've managed to get past, you know, the, the early years and still intact, and now they're 11, 12 years old, they get hit with the with the uh, Gardasil vaccine, three shots in a row. And and the original Gardasil already had a very toxic form of aluminum. They had come up with this new formulation of aluminum that's more effective. Uh, Aluminum is an adjuvant that makes the vaccine take better. So if you make the vaccine take better, that means you're going to encourage more autoimmune disease, just like you do with the MMR. The more you get a vaccine that you're reacting to, the more chances you have to develop an autoimmune disease through molecular mimicry. And that's what's going on with Gardasil. There's some really awful reactions that girls are having, boys too to Gardasil, and now they've got, so the Gardasil also had only three um, strains of the, of the HPV virus in it originally, the top three strains. They figured, well, let's, you know, do kind of a 90-10 rule, but what happens is when you immunize against those three, there's over 100 strains of, of, of the virus out there, so now the other 97 can have a field day, you know, so somebody else comes up and starts growing, and it might be more virulent than the ones you've, you've gotten rid of, so people started getting cervical cancer at a very young age following the Gardasil vaccine. They're getting the very thing the vaccine is supposed to protect them from, from some strain that isn't in the vaccine. So now the solution is Gardasil 9. This is the new form. Twice as much aluminum, nine different strains, and still there's 90, over 91 strains out there ready to go. You know This is a game we can't win. The whole yeah. concept of individually <clears throat> immunizing you against specific strains of specific bugs you know, so if you get 60 vaccines, so that's 60 different strains, you know, it's, and some of them have multiple. So maybe it's, you know, 150. There's a whole many, whole bunch more viruses out there that, that you didn't touch. You're still vulnerable to those things, you know, and things like AIDS, things like um, uh, the uh, Lyme disease, you know, Borrella, Borrelia, all these things are still out there ready to attack you, you know. You can't vaccinate
0: against them. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I wrote an article about this called Vaccinations Cause Chronic Immune System Dysregulation and talking about when people get vaccinations, they, that improperly simulates their immune system and they're more likely to get autoimmune diseases and cancer. And anything your immune system protects you against, it's now weakened.
1: Yes, that's absolutely vaccines. true. The autoimmune disease is a huge thing. And that's what I think the vaccines are actually working synergistically with the glyphosate to cause this epidemic in autoimmune disease. And what I'm talking about is things like Crohn's disease, celiac disease, inflammatory bowel disease, um, rheumatoid arthritis. Of course, all these brain diseases are really autoimmune. Autism, Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, ALS, You know, Lou Gehrig's disease. These are nasty, nasty diseases that are have an autoimmune component that I think is being driven by the combination of all these vaccines and all the toxic chemicals in them with the glyphosate, which is setting you up to be susceptible to those. It's really, really a very, very deadly combination.
0: So how does glyphosate work exactly to disrupt our health? And what are some of the health issues? Like you mentioned some, but let's just talk about... yeah.
1: Yeah, so I've mentioned, of course, the gut microbes, and that's where it starts. And now, of course, now there's actually a lot of neat research going on on the gut microbiome. It's sort of a hot topic right now in research, and it's wonderful how many new papers are coming out. Uh, Enormous amount of information where they do all this kind of complex analysis of the microbiome en masse. You know, so all the looking at all the different proteins within, not the individual uh, bacteria, but the whole complex and which, which proteins are expressed, and they can get interesting information about different diseases and what's associated with what. I mean, they found, for example, that uh, lactobacillus reuteri, R-E-U-T-E-R-I, seems to be protective against autism. And so that really caught my eye. And then I looked up and I found out it makes cobalamin. And cobalamin deficiency is linked to autism. That's B12, really important vitamin. The the viruses, I mean, the, the bacteria in your gut make all kinds of useful materials for you that your body can't make. Um, we rely on them to supply us with these nutrients, really vital nutrients. And so B12 is just one example, but they also provide us with other B vitamins. They also provide us with the aromatic amino acids. They're essential. These are essential amino acids that our our cells can't make. They come out of the pathway, the shikimate pathway that glyphosate disrupts. So if you're being exposed to glyphosate, your microbes get a blocked shikimate pathway. They don't produce the aromatic amino acids, and you get a deficiency in these crucial, crucial nutrients, those are precursors to all of the neurotransmitters. So we've got dopamine, serotonin, melatonin, also the skin tanning agent melanin, um, thyroid hormone, you know, all of these things come from those that shikimate pathway, including uh, folate. So We have, you know, a whole problem with folate these days, and everyone's putting folic acid in the bed, which I think is a really bad idea. But folate's not being produced because it comes out of that shikimate pathway. There's being this chronic exposure to glyphosate. So the microbes getting exposed, it also messes up the balance of the microbes. So the lactobacillus get preferentially killed. Those are the guys that need to get going when the baby's born. They're, They're feeding on the milk and they need to really flourish so they can prevent the pathogens from growing. But if they're getting weakened by the glyphosate, then the pathogens have a chance to overgrow and you get this inflammatory gut because your immune cells come in and start attacking those pathogens. Then you get a leaky gut and now you get, you know, various proteins escaping from the gut and causing all kinds of autoimmune diseases. It's a terrible cascade um, of sequences starting with the disruption of the gut microbes. And so that's one piece of it. And another piece I mentioned already, which is the liver sype enzymes. They've shown in studies that glyphosate disrupts this really important class of enzymes in the liver one of the things those enzymes do is to detoxify a bunch of different chemicals, including drugs that you take, for example, even acetaminophen, which is Tylenol. And they've linked Tylenol to to autism and Tylenol is, can be very toxic, you know, if you can't metabolize it, but you need those, those enzymes in the liver that glyphosate disrupts to metabolize the Tylenol. So when you take Tylenol and you don't break it down, it becomes much more toxic and then it can cause autism. And so, um, so the liver cypins, and of course that messes up the liver as well. The cypin enzymes are also essential for uh, activating vitamin D, and we have a major problem with vitamin D deficiency today in the United States. They've sort of discovered this, you know, within the past five or ten years, and now they're giving everybody vitamin D supplements. The problem is the liver can't activate the vitamin D. That's why we're. That's why it's low, um, and also the site enzymes are used to produce the bile acids. So if the bile acids can't flow, all kinds of things don't happen. And the mineral distribution gets all screwed up. So, you know, you get a really big problem with minerals. Minerals become both toxic and deficient at the same time. And that includes iron, manganese, um, zinc, cobalt, copper, uh, molybdenum, all of those really crucial uh, minerals, which you need in very small amounts. But they're really important for certain enzymes that depend on them. Um, And your body has really sophisticated mechanisms for pushing them around. Because they're toxic. These things are both just like oxygen. They're both toxic and essential. And we have these smart mechanisms, but glyphosate is a train wreck for them. So glyphosate holds onto the mineral and prevents our natural system from delivering it in a natural way. And then okay. it'll do things like carrying it to the brainstem and causing all kinds of trouble there.
0: I mean, isn't that how glyphosate works? It chelates and
1: grabs onto minerals in a plant and removes them. And that's how it kills it. And that's what it's doing to you too. That's right. That's right. It totally messes up the minerals. But worse than that is this thing about going into the proteins. And this is something I only discovered last December. It's sort of hard for me to believe it's only been that long. Um, really kind of a beautiful story. Anthony Samsel and I have been working together almost from the beginning. I, I heard from Don Huber about um, glyphosate. And shortly after that, I actually did a visit at uh, Dr. Bercola's office and I did an interview with him and Dr. Mercola said to me, and I, I shared with him, I said, you know, geez, this glyphosate, I just heard about it. What do you think? And he said, oh, you need to talk to Anthony Samsel. So, um, so I did. I talked to Anthony Samson, and, and then we just started going on a roll, and uh, we've just been collaborating ever since. We've published a series of five papers, glyphosate. We call them, you know, one through five in the, in the title. with a different topic in each one, but all connected to glyphosate. So last December, uh, Anthony called me up and he says, you know, Stephanie, I think glyphosate is getting into the proteins by mistake in place of glycine. I said, whoa, 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 what are you talking about? (laughs) He says, yeah, no, I really think it's happening. He's a really brilliant chemist. Uh, He worked at Arthur D. Little for many years and he has all kinds of patents to his name. He has a real intuitive understanding of chemistry. I really respect his knowledge. He has a vast, vast knowledge. Um, but anyway, he said, that I think this is happening because it's, that's how you can explain all these things we're seeing and all these diseases that are correlated. Every one of them, you can figure out how it would happen uh, because of glyphosate substituting for glycine. And so he, he was excited enough and convincing enough that I decided to take a look. And you know, and so I just basically uh, started reading one paper after another about uh, the role of glycine in various proteins. And so you can find a whole bunch of literature out there about uh, a specific protein where there's a, so that they find that uh, it's really neat what they, how they figure out proteins, you know, because they'll look at all the different species that make this protein. They have all these different variants of the protein with different sequences, but you see every one of them has glycine at that one spot. So for example, myosin, myosin is a muscle protein, really important for muscle movement. It's a motor and myosin contains a glycine at position 699 in that sequence at the 699th position, it contains glycine, all the myosins of all the different species. And if you change that, that glycine into alanine, which, in other words, you take out the glycine and put alanine instead, alanine just has one extra methyl group, which is a very small change in the molecule, but it ruins it. The molecule has only 1% capacity with alanine instead of glycine. So glyphosate instead of glycine would be much worse than alanine because it's a much bulkier molecule, but even more trouble- uh, to put To put glyphosate instead of glycine, that would totally ruin it, and so we have chronic fatigue syndrome. you know we have an epidemic i think it 's because glyphosate's getting into the muscles, getting into the myosin, and causing the muscles to be basically be immobilized. they just are so sluggish because they 've got this some proportion of those myosin molecules have glyphosate instead of glycine so it 's really, really fascinating, and even the very molecule that the the protein that glyphosate disrupts in the plants that Monsanto says is what it does as its sort of key toxic action is this protein that's in this shikimate pathway. It's called EPSPS, the protein, EPSP synthase. And that protein actually has an essential glycine at the active site. And so if that glycine is replaced even by alanine, it reduces the activity level by quite a bit. Um, If you replace it with glyphosate, you would be expected to kill it completely And in fact, they've shown that glyphosate shows up in the active site. It gets in the way in that active site and prevents the substrate from fitting in. That's how it disrupts the enzyme. So they know all of that. But they don't go so far as to say that it replaces the glycine. But that is obviously what it, how it could get into the active site is by replacing the glycine. And they've shown, in fact, that E. coli developed um, a resistance. They naturally developed a resistance to glyphosate by replacing that glycine with alanine. And alanine, again, has that extra methyl. So they replaced it with alanine. So their enzyme's kind of limping along. It's like you know, it's 60-fold like less active than it was before, but it's completely resistant to glyphosate so, the, so that the E. coli can actually get along with that enzyme, with that defective form of the enzyme. They do better in glyphosate exposure than the guys who don't have that defective form. And that's because they don't have glycine at that position. So they're not susceptible to the glyphosate poisoning anymore. So it's very clear, you know, that that's what's going on. The glyphosate is substituting for glycine in the protein. And that's how you can explain all these neurological diseases, including autism. Each one of them, ALS, autism, Alzheimer's, even the prion disease is the mad cow in the cows. Every one of them. You can find literature that talks about specific glycines that seem to be the source of trouble, highly conserved glycines. It's truly, truly amazing how, how easy it is to figure this out. It's incredible.
0: Yeah, and you've recently developed a new insight about it, an insidious way in which glyphosate can slowly erode our health, causing a lot of debilitating diseases. And Can you explain this?
1: Yeah. So that's totally because of this, um, getting into the proteins by mistake. Mm-hmm. It's a very slow, insidious process. So you're, you're getting a little bit of glyphosate every time you drink a glass of water, every time you eat some soy, a little bit of glyphosate. And most of it, you know, probably goes out eventually. You kind of get it out through your urine or through your feces. But there's some small percentage that is taken up by your cells and then incorporated into God knows which protein, you know, some protein gets it stuck in there. And then, depending upon which protein, and depending upon where, it could totally ruin that protein's ability to do its job. And worse than that, it can make that protein unable to be broken down. That's the really key, key problem. Because you look at Alzheimer's disease, and you have all that amyloid beta plaque. You know, that stuff is a consequence of glyphosate getting into the into the protein and preventing the cell from being able to break the protein down. So you have this broken protein you can't get rid of. And eventually you pile up so much garbage that the cell basically can't function anymore. So a lot of these diseases have to do with the accumulation of misfolded proteins that they can't clear. And worse than that, glyphosate disrupts the mechanism by which the proteins are cleared. And so this gets into sulfate, which is my big my big topic. I've worked on sulfate really since the beginning. Ever since I started looking at autism, I was interested in the idea that sulfate deficiency was causing autism. And sulfate is essential. In the outside of the cell, it's, it, there's these sugar complex sugar chains that the cell surrounds itself with, and there's sulfate in those. And those are taken in by the cell into the lysosomes to help the cell break down um, the protein. So if there's sulfate deficiency, it's hard to break down broken proteins. And so um, on top of that, you have these proteins with this glyphosate in there that makes them very difficult to break down as well so it's a double hit and your cell just gets completely overwhelmed with this garbage that it can't clear and so one way to fix that you know the cell basically sometimes it just shuts down and dies It spills its contents out into the environment and that's how you can end up with fungus infection problems because the the yeast can actually come in and clear the garbage and i think that's one of the things they're doing for us we have a lot of problems with the yeast infection these days people having various issues with fungus and yeast Um, I think they're performing a useful role in clearing some of this debris that our own cells can't clear because they're too sick. Mm.
0: So, so interesting. I know a lot of clients coming to me have fungal infections they just can't shake, not not what they do.
1: Organic diet, I think, would be really, really great for helping to fix that. And so let's talk about oxalates.
0: Um oxalates mm-hmm. are a big problem. Almost every single person I test or do an organic acids test on, they've got high oxalates. So what are oxalates and how does glyphosate uh contribute to them?
1: Yeah, I mean that's a very interesting topic. And it's also, by the way, connected to autism. Autistic kids have high levels of many autistic kids have high levels of oxalates mm-hmm. in their urine. Um and it's um really there's I think a whole shift in the way metabolism is working, where you're I suspect there may even be this concept of replacing sulfate with oxalate because of the sulfate deficiency, because they have some similar properties. They have some simi- similar biophysical pro- properties. But what's happening is that um, there's several different things that are going wrong. The oxalates, uh, there's the, the microbes in the gut that metabolize oxalates, the enzyme they use to do that depends on glycines and also depends on manganese, and both of those things are disrupted by glyphosate. So you're not getting the oxalates properly broken down if they're coming in in the diet to to begin with. But also glyphosate itself can be converted to oxalate. It can break down uh, and become oxalate. So it can be a source of oxalate itself. And then I think there's like complex changes in the way the liver is managing. um, Because the liver has all these different possible pathways that it can use to bring things to different places. And there's a, a blockage Uh, in a pathway that causes them to go this other way and end up producing all this extra oxalate. So it's basically just sort of messing up your metabolic pathways in such a way to encourage this overproduction of oxalates, which of course they can crystallize. I mean, the big problem with oxalates oxalates is that they can crystallize out with the calcium. Calcium oxalate crystals can even get into your brain and they can get into your kidneys and cause all kinds of issues with uh, kidney um, stones and things like that. So they're, they're nasty.
0: Yes. And so let's talk a little bit about, um, you know, how oxalates can kind of gum up your, your systems and and interfere in your
1: sulfation pathways. Yeah. Hmm. (laughs) I'm not sure if I can answer that. (laughs) Let's see. You have something in mind. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I
0: guess, you know, you're talking about sulfation and whatnot. So is there, is, um, let's talk a little bit, uh, let's go back to glyphosate. So, um, so what can people do to protect themselves from glyphosate exposure and even detox glyphosate?
1: Um, yeah, detoxing is a really good point because I've, I've read a couple papers now that where they're working with the cows. So there's a nice paper um, on cows where they had cows that were sick and they, were, they showed they had high levels of glyphosate in their urine. Um, and they fed them um, – they put them on an organic diet and then they fed them um, bentonite clay – Sauerkraut juice, fulvic acid and humic acid, which are organic acids from the soil. So a very interesting set of things to detox. And they found that they, their health improved and their glyphosate levels in the urine went down uh, following those treatments. So I think, and those are all things that people can take. They're pretty harmless, I think, as far as you know, side effects and things like that. Sauerkraut juice, of course, is gonna have a lot of probiotics. So you're thinking in terms of eating probiotic foods, foods that are naturally uh, contain live culture, that's really good to do. Um, I love cheese, and I think cheese is a good thing to eat for that reason. Various kinds of exotic cheeses are wonderful. Organic, of course, has to be organic. Um, And then also, the other interesting thing is that there are some really weeds, some plants that have very interesting um, properties to help you with the sulfate problem. Uh, Dandelions in particular, and also barberries. So there's some There's some products you can get that are like derived from dandelions and barberries. And these things have also been shown to uh, help to fix um, the illnesses that glyphosate causes. I suspect they're doing it by supporting sulfate transport. So um, I've done a lot of research on sulfate. And it's quite interesting that the aromatic amino acids, which glyphosate disrupts, are sulfate transporters because they're, they're carried in the blood with a sulfate attached to them. And then when they arrive at their destination, the sulfate comes off, and so that then the, the this uh whatever this is this neurotransmitter or something is doing whatever it does with its signaling but it's also saying hey here's your sulfate so it's handing the sulfate over to the to the cell that receives it and that's true for vitamin d too vitamin d comes in the sulfated form cholesterol sulfate is a really important molecule, so all these sterols all the uh hormones you know the testosterone the endo- um the uh progesterone and, and estrogen and all those uh, sex hormones, the uh, and cortisol, and also this thing called DHEA, all of these are sulfate, sulfated in transit. And these are all derived from cholesterol. So uh, cholesterol is a really important molecule. And I would encourage people to eat a high cholesterol diet, which is sort of surprising because a lot of people are on a low cholesterol diet because they're worried about heart disease. I will tell you that I think if you eat cholesterol, you'll actually lower your serum cholesterol levels because, uh, you will protect your liver from having to make cholesterol if you supply it in your food. It's really a better thing to do. So I believe in a high cholesterol diet. Uh, eggs are great, organic eggs, um, it, because they have all kinds of nutrients. They have a lot of different minerals. Mineral deficiencies are an issue. So you want to do bone broth, you know, organic. Again, get the bones from grass-fed cows. Uh, cook them for a long time and slow cook in water and make a terrific broth. Put some veggies in there. Green veggies are awesome, especially the ones... that. Uh, Cruciferous vegetables, they contain a lot of sulfur. Um, and garlic and, and onions are also a really good source of sulfur. And, of course, seafood. Seafood is an outstanding uh, source of all kinds of nutrients, especially the mussels, the clams, the oysters. Uh, these are really, really healthy foods. Uh, so you want to eat a nutrient-rich diet, micronutrient-rich diet, uh, high in probiotics and high in... Um, What's they call polyphenols, which is all these, the colorful fruits and vegetables have a lot of polyphenols. Those can also transport sulfate. So a lot of it has to do with making sure you can move the sulfate around in your body. You also need to synthesize the sulfate. And for that, you need sunlight. So sunlight exposure to the skin, sunlight exposure to the eyes, really good for helping you to synthesize the sulfate. And then you've got all these sulfate transporters available, the the, um, the aromatics, the the polyphenols, and the sterols coming from cholesterol and all of its derivatives. So those things are all really, really important for your health.
0: I know. I eat uh, fish eggs quite often. Oh, that's to get great. High cholesterol. something think I'm great. totally insane. It's usually
1: too expensive for a lot <laughs> yeah. of people. But...
0: Yeah, the thing I'm crazy about is I eat
1: them specifically to get more cholesterol in my diet. And... Yeah, they're great. And it's not just the cholesterol, too. They have all kinds of good nutrients, just like eggs. I mean, in general, anything that's a um, in the reproductive system of some organism, is going to be very, very rich. Anything that's supplying nutrients for the next generation, right? Because an egg has got all the nutrients you need to make a chicken, right, Yes. in there. And it's the same thing with the fish eggs. They, they can make a fish. So you can think there's a tremendous amount of nutrition, nutritional value in those eggs, you know, of any form.
0: And they're so good and crunchy. Yeah. yeah. And so not everyone would agree with me on that statement, but, <laughs> but I just crave them. I don't know why. So yeah. so let's talk about how glyphosate interrupts our hormones and and cholesterol, like you said, because so many people are having issues with hormones, reproductive issues, uh, uh, and horrible periods and menopause. And how is glyphosate contributing
1: to that? Yeah, glyphosate is an estrogenic agent. I mean, it actually is a... Neuro, um, an endocrine disruptor which is a really really serious uh, accusation for any kind of a chemical endocrine disruptors are terrible because they can be uh, have a damaging effect at extremely minute levels and in fact a study was a study in vitro study on uh, on cancer cells breast cancer cells they grew these ca- cancer cells in culture and they found that if they exposed them to Levels of glyphosate measured in parts per trillion, which is really, really tiny, tiny level, levels of glyphosate, caused those breast cancer cells to proliferate, so made the tumor grow. Really amazing. And, um, and glyphosate has been shown to uh, have a major problem uh, with the uh, testes. The, there's these cells in the testes that are like nurse cells that help out the uh, sperm, and those guys get clobbered by glyphosate. They can't function according to their normal way of functioning. And that's going to mess up the sperm because it causes the sperm to not develop correctly as a consequence of these helper cells being messed up. And in the um, adrenals, there's a study on Roundup. In fact, there's more than one study on Roundup that showed um, Roundup suppresses the ability of the adrenal glands to produce the adrenal hormones. And that's going to be all these really crucial hormones for controlling your, you know, lots of people have trouble, have hormone imbalance problems and that includes, you know, DHEA and uh, the, um, uh, what's it called, uh, adrenaline, you know, adrenaline obviously from the adrenals, so yeah, and, and also sex hormones, adrenal glands also make sex hormones, so all of those, so glyphosate messes up the, um, the ability to, there's this protein called STAR a steroidogenic uh forgot what it stands for but star s-t-a-r kind of a nice name because <laughs> it is a star it's a superstar and that protein is essential for getting the cholesterol into the mitochondria and the cholesterol needs to get into the mitochondria in order to be able to turn it into the steroid hormones. so that gets blocked by roundup and therefore you know, the adrenals can't make um, the hormones and I think there's another whole issue with vitamin C that I've been investigating lately. I don't have the complete story yet, but I see tremendous um, examples of people who are suffering from something that looks an awful lot like severe vitamin C deficiency. And um, I think glyphosate uh, causes, uh, disrupts the red blood cells' ability to maintain vitamin C in the reduced form. And actually, vitamin C can become oxalate too. So if you're taking high doses of vitamin C... And then your body isn't able to use it correctly. It could be that that's being just driven straight into oxalate and causing the oxalate issues. But the uh, vitamin C is absolutely essential for the adrenal glands. They really need the vitamin C to be able to, to produce their hormones. And so if the vitamin C is not maintained in the reduced state, they can't, they can't use it. And the red blood cells, there's a, a, a an enzyme called G6PD, glucose 6 phosphate dehydrogenase, really fascinating protein that has a huge number of of mutations these days. It's one of, it's, I think it's the most highly mutated, uh, protein in, in humans. So many, many different variants of this protein. I think G6PD is under attack by glyphosate. And so it's, the body is trying to come up with, you know, the evolution is trying to come up with some solution that can get around the glyphosate problem. And so far, not really succeeding. And so we have a lot of issues with G6PD deficiency in the red blood cells, which is crucial for maintaining, um, vitamin c in the reduced state so that it doesn't happen you get oxidation damage in the blood vessels and that of course leads to things like heart disease because you get this atherosclerosis all this sort of infl- inflammation all that stuff comes from an inability to maintain these reducing these powerful uh, antioxidant agencies like vitamin c in the reduced state wow. so that's that's a huge issue also
0: Yeah, and you you touched earlier on folic acid and how glyphosate can interfere in, um, you know, uh, many things related Mm. to folic acid. Can you relate that back to MTHFR and how that can be
1: problematic? (laughs) that's a very complicated story. And I, you've probably seen that big fancy picture of all the, you know, how you get the sulfur to, you have the methionine and you can, you can, you can get the methyl off the methionine and the methylation pathway gets blocked if MTHFR is busted. A lot of people have MTHFR issues um, and that's going to lead to uh, impaired methylation capacity. And methylation is really important for lots of different things, including the DNA, DNA expression of, of, um, of um, the, the the different uh, protein expression of different proteins in the body. So methylation is a very important control mechanism that becomes uh, defective if you can't get those methyl groups off of the methionine. And that's what happens with this MTHFR problem. Folate is very interesting. And I did a whole um, one-hour presentation on folate and folic acid at Autism One um, last year, uh, maybe a year ago, or maybe at Western Price. I'm not sure where. Western Price, I think, last November on folic acid. Uh, and folate, so they've put folic acid, you know, U.S. requires folic acid now as a um, as a nutritional um, fortification in, in wheat-based products uh, because they got so concerned about this whole issue of neural t- tube defects related to folate uh, deficiency. And people knock around the terms folate, folic acid, as if they're the same thing. And that is not true at all. And in fact, folic acid, which is what's in the wheat, is an unmethylated oxidized form. Of the thing you want, which is the methylfolate. So when you eat a lot of folic acid, your liver is compelled to both um, reduce it and methylate it before it can actually be useful to you. And in doing so, the liver is depleting itself of both methyl groups and of, of reduction capacity. So glutathione is so important for reducing things. But if you're busy reducing folic acid to folate, uh, you don't have any more glutathione left. You know, you're going to you're gonna use up your glutathione. So it's, it's not, people think folic acid is the same thing as folate, and it's just not true. And so what you're getting in your bread is actually can work against you. It can actually cause folate deficiency in the brain. And it's really wild because what happens is that the liver is so um, exhausted from having converted all this past folic acid to folate that it says, okay, I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm just going to let the folic acid go into the blood. And so you don't want to have folic acid in your blood because what happens is it binds to the folate receptors in the brain irreversibly and blocks them. So then you can't get the folate into the brain because the folic acid is in the way and the folic acid is useless to the brain. So it's really truly amazing that you think by taking folic acid you're actually solving the problem and actually you're making the problem worse
0: It's amazing i mean you even folate even taking
1: like methyl folate is what you could take, and I yeah. think that would be good if you have a folate deficiency problem you've already provided in sense you're providing both the methyl and the um reduced capacity, so you're providing those two important things the folic acid is is sort of you know it's it's a it's a carrier, but it doesn't have any of the good stuff on it you know. So that's the problem with it.
0: Is, do you think there's any issue with uh, taking methylated folate and perhaps that being blocked if people have too much folic acid in their blood from eating breads and grains?
1: I know. Well, there is a good question as to how you, I mean, you need to get back the, maybe you need to take methionine or something that could give you methionine because um, like anacetylcysteine, you know, uh, something that is a methyl, a. a um, you need to... Uh, and you need antioxidants, so you could, so for example, vitamin C. So you need to take things that are going to be ant- antioxidants um, and take things that are going to provide methyl groups. So, so g- glycine actually provides methyls. And I didn't mention this, but this is pretty amazing because glycine is normally metabolized in the gut by the microbes. Uh, and that met- metabolism actually produces a methyl group that then becomes can be added to folate to make methylfolate. And it turns out folic acid can't do that. So if you take folic acid, the gut bacteria have no chance of methylating because it's not, it's not reduced, it's oxidized. So that's why the folic acid just goes straight to the liver. But folate, uh, glycine can add methyl to folate to make methylfolate out of it. But it needs to get that out of the glycine and the pathway That does that has an essential glycine in the enzyme that can wreck it with glyphosate so glyphosate glyphosate can both compete as as a substrate because it is a glycine molecule it's it's a glycine on steroids it's got extra stuff stuck onto its nitrogen so it can both compete with the glycine to mess up the input and it can get into the protein that does that that takes the methyl off the glycine and mess that protein up so you can't so basically the glycine doesn't become a, a source of methyl so many reasons to not eat bread (laughs) i know (laughs) so many reasons it's a shame too because actually i think wheat's not a bad food you know if it were sort of heirloom wheat organic i mean i actually eat if i eat bread it's always heirloom you know organic wheat with um uh sourdough Yes, thats, yeah. What's up.
0: yeah, I don't have an issue with sourdough, like if I go to a really nice restaurant and I know they're using really good flour, it's not enriched, it's not this garbage it's enriched with iron and folic acid. I know. I know. it doesn't bother me it doesn't bother the breads in Europe they yes. don't bother me, but here, forget it
1: yeah, Just it's so interesting, it. isn't it And it's so such it's so interesting with this country we're so ridiculous because we have a problem with iron it's you know we have a major problem with anemia. But we also have a problem with iron toxicity. Mm-hmm. We have both. And, to, and the kind of iron that they put in is, is a bad form of iron. The kind of folate they put in is a bad form of folate. You know, they're using cheap products to produce this inedible stuff. And they're not solving any problems. They're just making it worse, you know.
0: Yeah.
1: And it's yeah. so stupid. I just And you just wish that they could come to their senses and just, you know, stop doing these crazy things that are making your food inedible.
0: So let's talk about how glyphosate interferes in the liver's ability to detox. We touched on that before, and I'm you know, big on detox. I have a big detox program, and there are so many things working against us for our body's uh, ability to detox, mm-hmm. the 700 chemicals on average we have in our body and the toxic metals we have. So how does glyphosate contribute to our, in, our liver's inability to detox?
1: Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. And I talked about the cytochrome P450 enzymes before, and that's a serious piece of the puzzle is that it disrupts those cytochrome P450 enzymes, which are really crucial for uh, a lot of the uh, toxic chemicals are metabolized through them. Uh, But there's also other things going on. It messes up the sulfate, as I mentioned, the sulfate. It's a train wreck for sulfate sulfate in every which way. It disrupts the sulfate transporters. It disrupts the sulfate synthesis. The enos molecule that synthesizes sulfate in the skin um, and is also in the in the liver um, depends on sunlight. And that is uh, also has crucial glycines that if you change them to glyphosate, the enzyme will be broken. And uh, and so and and there are several different sulfur uh, enzymes involved in sulfate transport and sulfate. producing even for example the enzyme that produces methionine from sulfate all these different things are disrupted e coli there's a wonderful study that showed all these enzymes that are suppressed by glyphosate and there were like four or five different enzymes related to sulfur relating to sulfur metabolism that were just suppressed and so sulfation is one way that you detox as well and so if that's broken you can't detox and um, and then there's um, you know methylation is screwed up sulfation is screwed up Glutathione. So what happens, I think, is that the liver favors glutathionylation as a way to detox. You need to add stuff to the molecule in order to make it more water-soluble so you can flush it out. So what happens is it goes to the liver, the liver puts something on there, like a methyl or a sulfate or a glutathione, um, and then it um, ships it back to the gut. And then it hopefully goes out through the feces in that second round after it's been modified by the liver. That's a way to get rid of a lot of these toxic chemicals that are coming in through through the food. But um, but basically you're stuck with glutathione elation. I think that's the one that becomes a uh, a much more prevalent in the presence of glyphosate because the other guys aren't working. And then you end up so you end up glutathione throwing away glutathione every time you you detox with glutathione you're losing it. And glutathione is a super super important antioxidant in the liver. So you the liver loses its ability to. Protect itself from oxidation damage, and then you get into liver cirrhosis, and then you get into fatty liver disease. I mean, glyphosate causes fatty liver disease because it messes up fructose metabolism, and that's a whole other story. But the poor liver, you know, is piling itself up with fat. It doesn't have enough cytochrome P four hundred and fifty enzymes. It has got trouble with the sulfur pathways, um, and and so um, it's just and it this doesn't have often doesn't have enough cholesterol because you know cholesterol synthesis is. You're eating a low-fat diet, so that's also hurting it. And so the poor liver is just on its last legs, you know, and and the liver is e- essential for getting rid of those toxic chemicals.
0: Yeah, that's so why I, I encourage everyone to take glutathione to, to help it out. And the glutathione precursors like
1: NAC and things exactly like that.
0: so important.
1: Yeah, and so there's several different sulfur-containing, you know. Uh, supplements that could be useful. There's L-lipoic acid. Yes. Um, and there's MSM, methyl sulfonyl methane, which some people have found to be very effective. And of course, garlic. I mean, I love garlic. Um, these are all good sources of sulfur. So, but you have to be careful because if you've got, some, a lot of people have a sulfur to, um, sensitivity problem, especially like sulfites, you know, in wines and things like that. And that is also, I think, due to glyphosate because glyphosate is messing up the enzyme that oxidizes sulfite to sulfate depends on molybdenum. And so that's one of those minerals that glyphosate could uh, prevent, you know, disrupt, and prevent sulfide oxidase from being able to do its job. And then sulfite is really, really toxic if you can't oxidize it to sulfate. And at the same time, you have a sulfate deficiency. So you get stuck with this sulfite that you can't um, get rid of, and that can cause a lot of d- damage because it's very reactive.
0: Yeah, that was my next question was if, um, you know, glyphosate interferes in sulfation of people that have a, a garlic or, you know, sulfur food sensitivity, if the glyphosate is contributing to that. Cause when I go eat Korean food, mm-hmm. I will actually vomit. Uh, this really? has happened a number of times and I finally learned on the third time not to eat Korean food because it's very heavy in garlic. So, you know, other kind of ethnic foods, I, I will actually vomit because my, your body just can't or my body yes. just can't handle
1: that amount of garlic. That's very interesting. I hear a lot of people tell me that because I keep saying, you got to get sulfur, you got to get sulfur. And they say, no, I can't eat sulfur-containing foods. They make me sick. And I've had enough people tell me that. And that's been puzzling me. That's been on my to-do list. How, I got to figure this out. Uh, and I do think that's part of what's going on is this sulfide oxidase gets gets blocked uh, by glyphosate. And then that makes the sulfites really toxic. And then that will also encourage the growth of sulfur-reducing, bacteria in the gut so you get an excess of desulfovibrio which will reduce the sulfite to hydrogen sulfide gas but if you have too much hydrogen sulfide gas at one time hydrogen sulfide gas is a very interesting molecule which has benefits just like oxygen you know it has beneficial effects but too much of it can kill you so you can get a real problem in your gut uh, if all of a sudden you're producing lots of hydrogen sulfide gas because you've got this block that can't get you the sulfate and, of course, at the same time, you've got this major sulfate deficiency problem, which is what's going to drive you towards oxalates. You know, That's how you're going to get more oxalates because that's the balance of the, what can I use instead of sulfate to help with the bud because you've got to have the right buffering in there. So uh, you get into a, a nasty situation. You really need the sulfate in your body to be healthy. But the question is how to get it there past all those problems. And so, one thing I recommend for people, I would be curious to know if people who have sensitivities to sulfur in their diet, if they soak in Epsom salt baths, do they ever, do they also have some kind of a bad reaction or does that work? Because that's a way to get the sulfate through the skin, mm-hmm. bypassing the gut. And so, that might be a safer method to get sulfate supplies to your body uh, without having to actually eat sulfur. So, I would recommend that. I would be curious to know actually for people who, are sensitive to sulfur, whether they're also sensitive to Epsom salts. I don't know that answer yet.
0: That's so interesting because that's Epsom salts are magnesium sulfate. So you could, and transdermally is a great way to get nutrients exactly, into exactly. your body and toxins, but a great way to get, get nutrients too. <laughs> yeah. Um Can you talk a, a, a little bit, if you're able to, about if you can detox glyphosate with an infrared sauna or, or can you sweat uh, glyphosate out through uh, your skin?
1: I think infrared sauna is an awesome thing to do. I really recommend it and um infrared light, in fact, is very interesting and i i um there's studies that have been done by people like jerry pollock in um Jerry Pollock is a uh, expert on water uh, at uh, in Seattle, Washington. He's a professor at the university there- wa- uh, washington university and he um he has shown in his papers that uh, infrared infrared light um, can cause these, what they call the exclusion zones, to grow four, four, fourfold, to get four times as big. And the exclusion zone is this area around, like in a blood vessel, there's a, uh, an area around the, the, the wall, inside the wall of the blood vessel, of structured water. That's basically what I call liquid ice. It's, a, it's like jello, a form of water that's crystalline and pure. And so the body forms this pure crystalline water around the blood vessel, all over all the blood vessels, a thin layer of this crystalline water. And infrared light makes that thing grow four times as big. And in growing four times as big, it gets four times as much energy out of it. Because what it does is it's like a battery. It creates a, a separation of charge. It's a really fascinating space that I've been struggling to learn about because it's a difficult topic. But water is you know it is essential for life and water is an extremely unusual molecule and it has this fourth phase it has the three phases liquid gas and, and and solid but it also has a fourth phase and that's this gel as like jello and it's and that fourth phase is essential for the blood vessels to be healthy and you need sulfate to make that form which is why you have to have so you have to make sure to get plenty of sulfate to be able to create that um, proper structured water all around all your blood vessels, which keeps the things that are in the blood inside the pipe instead of having them just leak out willy-nilly to various places where they're not supposed to go. So it, it gives you tight control over where those nutrients and also any toxins that might be in the blood to keep them out uh, and not get getting them into the tissues.
0: So it seems kind of hopeless. <laughs> We're talking about glyphosate. That it's in, it's in the air, it's in the food, it's in the water, it's in everything. But, you know, you have to, can you just give the listeners some some words some of advice? Just step one, two, three to avoid glyphosate yeah. as much as you can and detox it.
1: Right. I mean, so I, I think that I had mentioned before those uh, various nutrients that you can take. Uh, and I, I guess I should also say herbs and spices. Those are also good sulfate transporters. So, um, you know, things like parsley and um, I love the... Um, ah i'm losing the word never cilantro, mind cilantro <laughs> cilantro, maybe uh you know you can take um cilantro and uh and uh oh, i'm just blanking um, oh, the dandelion
0: dandelion
1: greens yeah dandelion yeah. greens i mean all these things that are a sort of exotic taste very tasty foods that are very i feel like they're they're loaded with nutrients right the, the herbs you know um thyme and and um Basil, basil was the one I was thinking of, which is so great. Uh, you just take the basil and grind it up, you know, and make the, and make the spaghetti with a, just the basil um, sauce. Uh, really, um, very, very nutritious. Uh, and those those things contain these special molecules, these polyphenols that will help with the sulfate transport. Um, so you want to eat a lot of herbs. You want to put a lot of herbs into your foods. Um, And that includes, of course, garlic and onions as well, which we're very fond of garlic and onions because they're so easy to get and they're so delicious and we can get them organic too. Fortunately, one thing great is that there's more and more uh, opportunity to buy organic. It's growing exponentially, actually. Um, which is fantastic Uh, in step with the exponential growth in uh, glyphosate so (laughs) no surprise there you know and so more and more people are waking up and i think that not only are you keeping your family healthy when you buy organic you're also promoting the organic industry so you will eventually uh, the farmers will eventually say hey why am i poisoning myself growing this stupid crop that nobody wants you know if I can convert my crop to be organic, I can make more money. I can be safe from toxic exposure myself. Why wouldn't I do that? So I'm sort of hoping for a revolution among the farmers that they will start to wake up and realize. And also, of course, the glyphosate's failing. I mean, it's the weeds are uh, becoming resistant. This is part of why it's growing exponentially because they have to keep on adding more and more glyphosate to kill the weeds. They have to have stronger doses. And this is also why they're now introducing these complex chemicals. They have this new er- uh, herbicide combination, endless duo, which is both glyphosate and 2,4-D. 2, 2,4-D 2, is a component of Agent Orange. And so the government's like, yeah, no problem, you know, go ahead. So th- the government is just completely lackadaisical about this concept of poisoning ourselves with our food. They just don't seem to get it, that this is a huge crisis and it's going to take the country down if we don't do something different. So consumers have power with their pocketbook. So you buy that organic, and you say, okay, I'm spending more money. It looks hard. You know, here's this organic one. It looks the same. Why am I spending 30% more, you know? But remember, you're not getting that glyphosate when you do that. You're keeping your family healthy, and you're supporting organic agriculture, which is also sustainable agriculture. That will help with global warming as well because agriculture, chemical-based agriculture is a major component of the global warming problem. And so uh, you'll help with that as well. So you can feel like you are spending your money very wisely when you buy organic and you're spending your money very stupidly when you don't, <laughs> you know, <laughs> encourage people to switch to organic. And I think that's going to be the way we solve this problem. We're going to have more and more people that realize when they switch to organic, they feel better. Um, and then they um, tell their friends and through word of mouth will eventually get a revolution where our food will be fixed, but it's not going to happen from the government because the government has been so thoroughly um, subsidized by this industry, that they're just uh, unable to think um, any differently than to say this is fine. It doesn't matter. We can poison the people. It's not a problem. You know, they just can't get past that, which is really frustrating for me.
0: It's it's really unfortunate. Just make it just breaks my heart to know all the people that are going to be getting cancer and autoimmune I disease, know. and so many in dementia is on the rise because people are not being protected by their government like they are in Europe and Russia and I know, even China
1: is being more protected. It's very embarrassing, you know, that uh, Putin is coming on strong about we're going to be the major supplier of organic to the world, you know, and we're not, I mean, that's not in the news here. It's sort of only on the alternative. will you learn that, right? They're not saying, oh, Putin's going organic. You know, it's just not, they don't want you <laughs> to even know that, you yeah. know, <laughs> he's like just, he's just the big bad guy. How could he be doing something good, you know? But he is. He's really pushing organic in Russia, and I think it's a very smart move. And we should be doing the same. I just wish our government would, would, would you know, government could be very powerful if they would just wake up and change. And which just seems like they're un, unreachable.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's not surprising when Monsanto has been lining the government's pockets since the 80s and this very systematic uh, thing that they've been doing to get control of our food supply. And it's sickening, but that's our reality and we can make choices. We do yes. have control. We
1: just have to not get so angry about it, but just say, I can do this on my own. I'll just fix. it been the good news. The really good news about this country is that the organic is more and more available So if you do decide to switch to organic, it's not so painful anymore. You know, it used to be hard to get organic. And now you can also order it online, you know, like Thrive Market. So if you can't find it locally, you live in some small town in some obscure place, you can order it online. So there's ways you can get organic. Uh, Again, it's more money. But you think about the money you're not spending on some horrible disease. If you have a kid with autism, I mean, that is just not only the expense but also just the You know, it's just a tragedy involved with all of that. To avoid something like that, why wouldn't you spend 30% more on your food for that opportunity? I think it just, you know, totally makes sense.
0: Yeah, you're going to spend it on food now or medications, doctors, and nursing homes later. And it's going to be way more expensive when you don't have the money and you're not
1: able to work. Yes, exactly. That's true. Once you can't work, that's a huge amount of money spent because it's money not earned. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah.
0: And so I have a question I ask everyone that comes on the podcast. What do you think is the most
1: pressing health issue in the world today? Uh, I think I would have to say autism. I think um, if I have to pick one disease, I mean, certainly glyphosate is the chemical. (laughs) That's the most pressing chemical. Mm -hmm. If we were just to ban glyphosate, we could make a huge amount of progress on world health. And I think among all the diseases that glyphosate causes, the biggest tragedy to me is autism because that is taking away the life of a young child. Um, it's so um, it's just so costly to society. It's going to uh, disrupt the school system. I mean, once we have I, my projections are saying fifty percent of the kids with autism by twenty thirty two. I mean, that is a very scary number, and that's just based on extending the exponential curve that I, that the CDC has shown since you know for the past three decades. So uh, once we have half the children with autism, we're going to be in quite a mess. And I just think we have to have to avoid that. We have to do everything we can to stop that. Um, so I would say autism, and of course, the, autism is a um, is part of a much larger problem with the children. They have so many other issues, many many autoimmune diseases, and I mean ADHD is something like twelve percent of the kids. Uh, that's a, a attention deficit disorder, and all these allergies, these food allergies, and asthma, and eczema, and celiac disease, you know, it's just uh, inflammatory bowel disease, so many problems. And even children are getting rheumatoid arthritis now, which is just crazy. So uh, we need to, um, the children are so important because that's our future. I feel really bad for all the old people who are getting Alzheimer's as well, of course, but their life is, you know, mostly over. So it's sad, but it's not as tragic to me as a young child uh, getting autism. It's just, horrible. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's devastating. I was there myself when my daughter was diagnosed and luckily I I knew exactly what to do, you know, all, all guns blazing and a detox of her aluminum got or all, you know, she was already on her organic diet and uh, a school, occupational therapy, speech therapy, but that was really expensive. (laughs) Yeah. But she's better now. Luckily I had the resources to be able to do that, but a lot of Families, is just—they don't know what to do, and too little, too late, and you know it's—it's—it's it's, it's heartbreaking.
1: Yeah, and yeah. I really do hope that people can get um, a better sense of what's going on with the vaccines because I think it's really a shame how the message has been—it's um, like a meme, you know, that vaccines are safe, vaccines are wonderful, and that you know anybody who's the anti vaxxers are so, such evil people that they—they they threaten our children with the exposure because they're not protected and all this stuff. And when you really study the vaccines the way I have, you see the story is wrong. It's just wrong, you know. And the vaccines are only immunizing you against a single, every single strain in that vaccine is going to immunize you at best. If it succeeds, it's going to immunize you against that one bug. And there are many, many, many viruses out there that we don't even have a vaccine for, nor would it make sense to give yourself like a a thousand vaccines. You know, there's no way you can individually immunize yourself one by one against all the viruses. So if you just get rid of certain ones, there's always other ones that can come in and make you sicker. So you haven't really solved anything. And every time you get a vaccine, you're setting back your general immunity by a notch. So when you get more and more vaccines, you get a weaker and weaker general immune system. So all those other viruses are now a bigger threat to you than they were before. So you haven't fixed anything. You've just made things worse. So we end up with a lot of people who are very susceptible to any virus that comes along, you know, and so you become almost terrified to step outside. I mean, it's just you need to have a strong, innate immunity. You don't really want to be producing these antibodies that are specific to specific germs. You don't want to do that because every time you do that, you have a chance to produce an autoimmune disease that could be devastating. Yeah. And so it's just it's the vaccine concept is broken, in my opinion.
0: Yeah, there is no such thing as herd immunity. It will right. never happen. It does not exist.
1: <laughs> and it's funny how, you know, they, they say that the anti-vaxxers, they have these wonderful kids who are so healthy and they never get sick, you know. And then they accuse them of being the ones that have caused a, a breakout, you know. And Yet they're not getting sick. So it's like it doesn't make sense, right? Yeah. The other kids are so sick, are so vulnerable that they easily get sick because they've been pumped up with all these vaccines and they've got all this all these issues with their... The immune system is just, you know, a train wreck. I mean, it's, you're, you're forcing the immune system down a path that is not natural with the vaccine. It's yeah. not a natural immune, immune process. And, of course, you totally mess up that child, um, the, the, the baby, because the mother doesn't have natural immunity. And she's supposed to be able to supply it in her breast milk, and she can't because she got those vaccines and they wore off, you know. So then the infant becomes vulnerable, and that's when you can really get a serious problem with something like measles if you're too young. But you should have natural antibodies from your mom, but you don't because she got the vaccine and it wore off. So you end up with a failed system for the most vulnerable people. Just yeah.
0: And I, I just, it's difficult to find good information about vaccine dangers. Saying so just five years ago, I started researching the, or not, not five years ago, maybe right before I was pregnant. And I started researching about vaccines and everything is pro vaccine. On the internet, on the news Uh and the newspaper, because they're all bought by big pharma. Exactly. They just
1: keep, they think if they just keep shouting it loud enough that you will not believe anything else, they just tell you vaccines don't cause autism. They just, it's like a mantra, you know, and that eventually, and they don't even provide support for why they believe that. They just say it.
0: Yeah, and it gets into the the, the conscious, you know, collective conscious. And I fell victim to that and thought I had done my research and gave my daughter about 10 vaccines. And I paid the price. Mm -hmm. I paid the price for that. And so many other people are as well. And it's not really getting into the media. so.
1: Yeah, it's frustrating. It's really frustrating that the the, um, mainstream just has such a stranglehold. You know, there's just like such... Filtering of information so that the truth can't get out. It's just really frustrating. But we're building a larger and larger alternative community, and I think eventually they'll be so so large that their voice will be heard. Yeah,
0: yeah. So Stephanie, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I so appreciate it. I know the listeners are going to listen to this a few times (laughs) to try to (laughs) absorb all the information. (laughs) So, why don't you tell the listeners where they can learn
1: more about you and about glyphosate, etc.? Yeah, my my name is pretty unusual, S-E-N-E-F-F. So if you can remember my last name, you can do a Google search and you can find all kinds of stuff. YouTube has a lot of YouTube videos and some various podcasts, and I have a bunch of papers. My papers are posted on my website, and my website is at MIT. Probably if you Google my name, you'll see my website near the top of the list, but I can tell you the website in case you want to write it down. It's not an easy one to remember. It's people, P-E-O-P-L-E dot CSAIL, that's my lab, Computer Science and Artificial Intelligence Laboratory, C-S-A-I-L, dot MIT, dot edu, slash, my last name, Seneff, S-E-N-E-F-F. So I've got a bunch of stuff there, my, my papers and various uh, slideshows from various presentations that I've given and um, some, a few other things. So there's a lot of material on my webpage. Very plain looking, but it's got a lot of material in it.
0: Great. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. So appreciate it.
1: Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It was and, great.
0: And everyone, if you want to learn more about me, go to live to one hundred and ten dot com. Check out my detox program at mineralpower dot com. Thank you so much for listening to the Live to One Hundred and Ten podcast.